Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Floss Weekly is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Floss Weekly with Randall Schwartz and Simon Phipps. Episode 154 for February 23rd, 2011. Sunlight Labs. It's time for Floss Weekly, the show with free Libre open source software. I'm your host, Randall Schwartz. Yes, it's Randall Schwartz. I'm back again, back again from three long weeks in South America on a 12-day cruise with Leo Laporte and uh, a, a, a run up to the Iguazu Falls and up to Machu Picchu. And boy, I'll tell you, I've got more passport stamps in the last three weeks than I've gotten in probably the last three years. But I've had a great time, and I really appreciate Dan Lynch taking the reins while I was gone. He stepped into the last minute to be able to uh, host those shows for me. He'll be back in another couple of weeks so if you like the way he hosted the show uh, feel free to tune in again if you didn't like it uh too bad he's still gonna be hosting anyway <laughs> but uh as the show always has we have a good co-host again this week as we often do uh it's none other than our very f- good friend simon phipps simon welcome back to the show it's a, a pleasure to still be here and to welcome you back randall uh, oh, it's been, right. uh, we've, we've been suffering while you've been away on your uh, exotic cruise around Latin America and your visits to World Heritage sites, but we've got by somehow. But uh, it's good to have you back, though. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And the, and the one thing I know now is that even at uh, even with cloud cover at 8,000 feet, you still get sunburned. So if, if you're watching the video, I'm a little redder than I normally am. I'm still kind of recovering from Machu Picchu last week, but that was a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, we have a really great show lined up today. I'm really looking forward to talking to these guys. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, let me look at my notes here. Yeah, Jeremy Carbaugh and uh, Luigi Montanez, and they are representing the Sunlight Foundation as in the form of being the the software side of the group of Sunlight Labs. And from what I could get from reading their website, they're into like a bunch of different things. It's it's all about trying to make uh, access to government data, particularly the U.S. federal government's data, in, in both real time, just just even getting access to it, because so much of that stuff is locked up in, in, in formats that we don't know about, and maybe even PDFs, but the PDFs might be a little thick and opaque to parse and stuff. So these guys are working pretty hard. And trying to make it so you have access as citizens to what's really going on in Congress and, and the executive branch, legislative branch eventually, that sort of thing. So, uh, excuse me, what's the other one? Judicial branch. Boy, I'm fucking my civics class. I can already tell. Okay. Uh, so that we're going to bring them on in a minute. Uh, but uh, any uh, anything you want to say about them before we uh, bring them on, Simon? Uh, I'm actually uh, very excited to be talking to them. They're one of my favorite U.S. projects. Uh, I'm here in Southampton on the south coast of the United Kingdom. The, uh, we were actually the home port for the Mayflower. Uh, we mm-hmm. sent all of our undesirable religious fanatics over to the other side of the ocean uh, mm-hmm. uh, about 500 years ago. Um, uh, but still, I look with interest at what's going on over in the U.S. And Sunlight Labs is really doing some of the most important work in opening up your democracy. Um, all the time, your choices are just uh, Republicans and Democrats. You're going to be stuck without democracy over there. But when you have <laughs> Republicans, Democrats and the actual data that they're working with, you've got democracy. So I, I think what the work that they're doing is really important. And I'm going to be very keen to hear what they're actually doing. That's very clever. I hadn't even thought of that. That's great. Did you prepare that or did you just come up with that just now? It's just just off the top of my head. It's it's just the, like this the whole time over here, you know, Randall. <laughs> what a brilliant guy. I'm so glad you're back here as a co-host. So uh, with that kind of brilliance, we must be ready to bring on our guests. Let's go ahead and bring them on. Let's start with Jeremy Carbaugh. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks. Uh, it's good to be here. And where are we speaking to you from? Uh, I'm in the Sunlight Foundation offices here in Washington, D.C., of course, D.C. have to be close to where all the action is, right? Exactly. Very cool. Very cool. So let's also bring on our other guest, Luigi Montanez. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, where are you calling from? Hey, hey, Randall. Uh, yeah, you're definitely pronouncing that right. And I am actually, I usually work with Jeremy, um, but today I was feeling a bit under the weather. So I'm actually calling you from my house in uh, northern Virginia today. Very good. Very good. Well, I made a kind of a wild stab at... Uh, trying to describe this. There's so many aspects to Sunlight Labs and the Sunlight Foundation that I, I, I could only talk briefly about it at the opening of the show. So let's go ahead and do with the sort of 30-second high-level view of uh, what Sunlight Foundation and Sunlight Labs are all about. Jeremy, you want to take that? 
Sure. So uh, the Sunlight Foundation just basically uh, we're a nonprofit, uh, nonpartisan that was set up to use the latest technology to help open our government and make government more transparent. Um, so we've so far focused mainly on federal government, but have recently started getting into state government. Um, Luigi and I work for the Sunlight Labs, which are the technology wing of the organization. So we're out there building tools to help people find out more about their government and to, um, yeah, just take government data and do something useful with it. Now, what does it mean to open up the government? I mean, the government's supposed to be open. All the meetings are open, well, kind of, and all the uh, votes are, you know, on C-SPAN right away. What, what, what else would you have to do? Uh, well, I think that's a good example. Uh, so just having a vote show up on the screen on C-SPAN isn't good enough. You know, we want to have real-time uh, data feeds from government, something that, uh, you know, in some format that programmers can parse easily and do something with. Um, a lot of what the government produces is stu uh, stuck inside PDFs or some other uh, format, some proprietary tabular-based format uh, that's pretty difficult to use. So we're trying to convince government to uh, make data available in nice formats whenever possible. Now, this obviously has to be an uphill battle because I'm, I'm sure there's, uh, there's you know, it's clearly when the U.S., government was founded there weren't computers so they must mm -hmm. be they must have had traditional mechanisms for recording the votes and transmitting information back and forth uh, within the activity of congress and and the, the other parts of government uh so at what point were computers introduced at their side and are, are those legacy systems still in place and does that affect how you're actually trying to get to, at this data uh yeah uh, i mean so a lot of these processes were built around uh, paper and uh, pushing paper around. Uh, since then, you know, they've had uh, other systems built to help them internally. And oftentimes those just aren't exposed to us externally. So, for example, we've uh, been lobbying from the beginning to get um, earmark information. Uh, so whenever Congress uh, puts earmarks into bills, they actually have to send request letters to uh, to the um, Appropriations Committee, and those letters are stored in a database somewhere in Congress, uh, but that database is never exposed, nor is the data uh, available in any format uh, to the general public. You can get individual copies of the letters themselves, but that's not good enough. You know, that's not structured. There's uh, really nothing you can do to programmatically access that data. And I can also mention it's probably on a, a low-bid uh, contract from the 70s on a mainframe, right? Uh, either that or an access database, probably, or a spreadsheet somewhere, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, data, data stored in spreadsheets. It's like the most common place that things are misstored. Um, so how how have you been able to move this forward to a point where – oh, but by the way, I, 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 just for our international listeners, what uh, what's an earmark and why is that interesting? Oh, so an earmark is uh, a specific appropriation that a member of Congress can ask for to get money directed to a very particular project. So, uh, you know, in the United States, um, Congress is responsible for setting the budget and, you know, specifying where money goes. So an earmark is, um, for example, some member of Congress saying they want, you know, $5 million to go to build a swim center in their town or something like that. So, uh, yeah, it's a request for... A very specific, uh, you know, distribution of the money. So it's an earmark when you ask for it, and it's pork when somebody else asks for it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those relative terms. <laughs> yeah. I love how that works. So, uh, what's your role with the organization? And then I'm going to ask the same question of Luigi. So I'm one of the web developers here. Um, we do also we do a number of projects every year um and uh we're always pushing out new data so um yeah just i, I work on a wide variety of internal projects okay so we'll come back to you for some more questions but i want to get, get luigi a couple chances to ask, answer something here so luigi what, what's your role with the organization so i uh i too am a developer at sunlight labs and um i i usually focus on Ruby. So we both have Ruby developers and Python developers um, in-house. And I, I like Ruby. So I, all my projects are usually Rails-based or Sinatra-based or something like that. Okay, cool. And how long have you been involved with the organization? Um, I have been at Sunlight for about two years. Um, I actually, So yeah, early 2009. So I actually 
I was actually noticed or I kind of got hired by Sunlight because I actually built a, uh, a Ruby wrapper for one of Sunlight's first APIs back in 2008. So I, I built and maintained that, open sourced it, put it on GitHub. Um, and the folks at Sunlight thought that was a great thing. And a few months later, I was hired and, and now I work for Sunlight. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people don't know that about open source projects is that they're always on the uh, lookout for people that are really qualified. And if you build an add-on or a plug-in or something like that for an open source project, there's a chance that you'll actually be involved a lot more than you thought you were in the first place. I, I wrote a book about a, a programming language that sort of got right in the center of the Perl community because of that. And I was just sort of like a peripheral guy to begin with. So uh, it's interesting that happened for you. Um, what, attracted you the, uh, what attracted you to actually working with the API when you started working on it then, uh, were you, are you a government advocate or just a guy concerned about data or what? So uh, I was working as a consultant to political, political campaigns and um, nonprofit advocacy groups. And one of the things they wanted me to build for their, their web apps was a uh, contact your congressman tool. Mm -hmm. So um, the easiest way for me to actually get at the data um, wasn't through some government service. It was actually using Sunlight's uh, Congress API, which is a RESTful JSON API that you essentially just pass it um, a zip code or you pass it a uh, lat long and it figures out your district and it tells you who your who that district's members of Congress are. And so I, I use the API for that and uh, built the tool for my clients and um, the rest is history. Cool. So I'm very interested to hear about uh, your, your views on data formats, actually, guys, because uh, I've been involved with uh, ODF for uh, many years. Uh, and I wonder whether you believe that uh, open standards are important for data formats or whether it's simply important that there's something parsable and that uh, a programmer can fix it as long as they know what the, uh, the, the format is. Do you believe that standardization should be our pressure or do you believe that uh, we need transparency first and can worry about standardization later? So uh, right now, I think we're more focused on focused on just getting the data out there um, before standards. So our I guess our biggest pet peeve with uh, the government here in the U.S. is everything is so heavily based on PDFs. Um, and PDFs, if they're text based, they're somewhat easy to parse, but not really. And if they're image based, they're just they're awful. So the first thing we we always advocate for is to ask governments to release data in some plain text format, whether it be CSV or XML, it doesn't really matter that much to us. Um, but the, the, the main thing is just getting it in a, a plain text accessible format. Right. And uh, so do you find that your requests for that are well received when you make them of government? Because uh, I've, I've watched a lot of initiatives and, uh, with governments thinking that the answer to all transparency needs is PDF. Uh, did you find people push back when you ask for plain text? Um, well, so the interesting thing is it's, it's much easier usually for people in government to just say save as pdf or print as pdf and then release that so i think that's kind of like why that's kind of the reason why we see pdf so prevalent because it's so easy to export to and adobe um, definitely makes tools available to make that very easy so i think we're we're starting to see um governments at all levels recognize the value of open plain text formats um it's it's really kind of just this steady march towards better formats and not and so, some uh, agencies are are good about it, um, especially the ones that have put their data up at uh, data.gov, which is a, a federal federal data catalog. Um, but others, you know, still are somewhat lagging behind. And it's really that's that's one of the things we do at Sunlight is we we consistently advocate um, these stakeholders to release their data in better formats. And do you, do you find that uh, vendors are helping very much in this? Because, again, my impression is that some of the government's biggest vendors are there trying to push their closed formats and their tools more than they're interested in transparency. Do you find vendors are uh, helping you or, or harming your activities? It's interesting because I think, especially since um, the Obama administration has come in, um, early in the Obama administration's uh, life in, in early early 2009, when he first took office, they 
published what's called the Open Government Directive. And that really set this tone in Washington um, around making things more open and more transparent. So a lot of the vendors have also kind of latched onto the idea. And if you, uh, if you rode in the DC Metro system anytime last year, all, every, all the advertisements in, in the train cars and in the, in the stations was from Adobe. And they were, it was all about how Adobe uh, is enabling open government. So we definitely have seen um, vendors like Adobe... Microsoft um, pushing this open government mantra. And um, a lot of times, yes, it is to use their, their tools, their proprietary tools. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, you know, it still is heartening to see these huge companies um, kind of on the same side as we are. You know, that's uh, very positive of you, but, uh, you know, I look at that a little bit more cynically. Uh, looking sure. at Adobe, for example, uh, they see the phrase uh, uh, open government and they believe that means that the data should be locked up in PDFs. And uh, Microsoft <laughs> hears the idea of uh, open government and that means they therefore think that you should be using um, uh, DocX files. And uh, I, I wonder whether uh, what's happening there is bandwagon jumping rather than actually helping your mission at all. You know, there's, I'm, there definitely is some of that going on, um, but I think we're at some point we're being consistent and clear about the fact that we want data available using open standards um, in in well documented open formats like XML, and it usually winds up being XML as, as probably the best format. Even though I think maybe as Jeremy and I are web developers, we might prefer JSON, um, but. Uh, you know, that's it's just kind of this it's it's this uh, thing that's very common and it happens in the federal government is that you have these competing interests and it's just a matter of um, of have of advocating your side and then hoping that and proving through um, the work we do and through the products we build that in the end openness generally will win and it, it's it's the best thing for government to adopt. Right. So uh, I've heard the, the folks from Adobe pushing the idea of uh, including metadata in PDFs. Are you seeing government-produced PDFs including metadata that makes the PDFs possible, or is that just Adobe uh, blowing smoke about a feature no one uses? I I personally have not um, seen them use seeing PDF being you know using that those metadata. Um, standards that Adobe has published. I don't know if Jeremy has, um, but I'm I'm definitely not aware of that really being used or adopted in from government at all. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's more of a process issue. Um, you know, a lot of the issues that we have with the data the government produces really isn't, you know, them you know, being obstinate or, you know, not wanting transparency. It really is just more, you know, these are the processes that were there when they got there and they don't really have the, you know, um, internal power to change these processes. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like fighting against the system that they work in rather than, uh, you know, any real anti-transparency. Right. Right. So uh, when it comes to XML, uh, are you just wanting people to uh, use something like ODF uh, to create their text output of documents, or are you encouraging people to use uh, real XML with uh, metadata tags tagging up the, uh, the, the meaning of the information? I think one of the things that we tr really try to push for is that uh, documents aren't always the best way to distribute data. And I think that the earmark issue is a good example of that, that internally they actually do have a database of all the earmark requests, but then they publish them as the PDFs of the raw letters. So even if those were in ODF, um, that's still not the optimal format because there's an issue of, uh, you know, parsing the text and trying to understand exactly um you know, within the text, what the data actually is. So, uh, you know, while a, a, a more open document format is nice, it's often not the optimal way of receiving this data. Before uh, Sunlight Labs got involved with this, Sunlight Foundation got involved with this, was there any organization that was uh, sort of doing this already, or was this, are you guys sort of pioneering this? 
No, this is a longstanding movement, especially if uh, uh, for very particular causes. Uh, so you've had organizations like the Center for Responsive Politics working with um, campaign finance data for, uh, I can't even remember how long, 20 years or more. Um, and so th- there's been a lot of organizations that focus on very particular issues. Um, we kind of are trying to take a very broad focus and really push on uh, general transparency uh, while also promoting, you know, new technology as well. So is this act, are you guys acting as a coalition then? I mean, do you get together with meetings with the other peer groups then? Uh, yeah, we do. We work pretty closely with lots of other organizations. And um, actually, w- later this week or the beginning of the next week, we're going to announce uh, Transparency Camp. Um, it's mm. a bar camp type uh, uh, conference that we've held uh, for the past three years. Um, so it'll be here in D.C. Um, we're going to have a bunch of other organizations come and anyone else that can make their way to D.C. Uh, can sign up as well. Um so yeah, it's it's been successful, and it's it's really useful to meet up with other organizations and other developers that have uh, you know particular goals in mind. Now, the data you're producing, the data you're able to bridge from inside these locked up systems into something that's some mm-hmm. sort of public API. Who are the consumers of this data mostly? Uh, we've had all sorts of consumers. Uh, a lot of them are uh, just your average developer that has some interest in. Um, you know, government APIs or government data and wants to do something locally. Um, We've had people use the data uh, where the company they work for or the organization they work for, their systems aren't as nice to to work with as some of the APIs we provide or some of the data formats, so they'll use us instead. Um, There's just a very wide range of stuff that we see. And are you providing, uh, I see, like, a, you've got web interfaces and web APIs for further data reduction. Uh, I see there's also, like, an Android and an iPhone app. Uh, we'll talk about those. Yeah, so uh, Eric Mill developed our uh, Android app, and it's basically just a um, an app for the average person to get information about the members of Congress. Um, so from your current location, you can find who represents where you're at. Um, you can track various things such as bills or how they voted on bills, and you can get notifications when there's uh, things that happen. Um, so when a vote does go on, you can get a notification to your phone to find out how uh, your members of Congress voted. Um, that app is 100% open source, and it's on our GitHub account. Um, so anyone that's interested in contributing can come and help us out. Uh, we also have an iPhone app that was developed by Josh Ruley, and that app is a little bit different. It's a, it's a bit wonkier. Uh, it focuses on documents. Um, so... Uh, each political party and various congressional offices are always publishing documents about their schedules, their policy positions, anything that's coming in. So that app uh, kind of provides a feed of uh, that type of information. Yeah, I'm sort of looking at the iPhone app here. I just downloaded it a few minutes ago. And so I've got uh, their documents. I've got things that have lots of three-letter acronyms. I thought acronyms right. and computers <laughs> were bad. <laughs> I know what the GAO is. I don't know what the CBO is or CRS. Uh, I understand the word Democratic and Republican. So <laughs> I, I guess yeah, I, wouldn't is the... be, I wouldn't be a consumer of this data then because it sort of doesn't make sense to me. But uh, I imagine it's uh, interesting having this information available to people who are a lot more... Uh, a lot more political than I am, so that's cool. Very cool. Yeah, we find that people on the Hill use the uh, use the iPhone app a lot. Um, both of those app though, apps, though, are powered by a new API that we just recently launched called Real Time mm-hmm. Congress. And uh, the goal of that is to get information about Congress uh, pushed out in as near to real time as we can get. So uh, it's things like votes, new documents that come out, uh, who's speaking on the House floor, um, all, all sorts of that type of stuff. Yeah, like I'm just I pulling can't even up remember now. all the categories we have. I'm just pulling up now the, the, the information on the house. You can't see that in the video, sorry. But, uh, you know, some information from Friday, February 18, which is pretty recent. So that's really nice that you've got relatively modern stuff. Now, of course, I could go watch, you know, C-SPAN or any of the mm-hmm. analysis come people to get this information. But this this is, is this more useful in real time then or pretty close to real time? Uh, I can't remember the exact uh, delay. A lot of the things have uh, like a 15-minute delay. Uh, Some of the vote information is um, like one day out of date. Um, But a lot of that is just how long it takes the source material to get published by the uh, people that we use for the data. So, Cool. Go ahead. Uh, So to actually just 
uh, Jeremy brought up a good point there, which is to actually get the data for the real-time Congress API, um, we actually have to end up scraping uh, the websites of the House and the Senate uh, to get the data. So it, that's a kind of another big part of the work we do is we, we just end up scraping websites. Um, and sometimes we find that that's probably the best, uh, the best way we have for now to get at this government data. I know the difficulty of that. I actually worked for a couple of companies that were doing some pretty heavy web scraping. So uh, I understand, you know, that's so fragile. And if they throw in a little extra here, a little bit you weren't prepared for there. Uh, is there, are, are there, are there discussions then with the people that are building those websites to get the information in a, in a much more friendly form? Yeah, we, we definitely um, constantly advocate for, uh, you know, any anytime there's data on a website, we, we always try to and make sure that we have contacts within the within the agency or the uh, the department publishing that stuff to get it in um, better formats. And, and we have seen improvements over time. Um, but again, it's, you know, the, the federal government especially is, is a huge um, bureaucracy and it, it just takes time and it just takes constant effort on our part to just push them um, towards better and more open uh, data formats. And I also got to say it's sort of contrary to their typical status quo because there's no motivation really to have the, um, you know, you providing the real-time feed of the information to some sort of form that can be repackaged because they've already got the website and they're, you know, they're fulfilling their mandate of making it available to the public. So you're, they're, in some sense, they've already checked off the box. Um, how Are the people that you talk to inside, are, do they have also a kind of like, a, a, you know, a, a bias towards wanting this to be more open or are they more resistant than that? I think the people on the inside, the ones I've been in contact with, um, they really, they actually do get it and they, they get the whole reason why we're pushing for transparency and why we're pushing for open government. Mm -hmm. um, like Jeremy said earlier, it's it's really just the, this kind of legacy, uh, these legacy systems they have that they have to contend with. Um, but I think that what I, I've found most heartening working at Sunlight is, is seeing how how many people in government, and I've, I've been surprised how many people in government actually do get it and, and do want things to be more open. Um, but, you know, it's it's just going to take time and effort. I wonder, have you considered, and probably you have, and I hope so, that that if, they, if you could get the uh, government agencies involved to open source their software that produces the web pages, that you might actually get volunteers on the outside to actually provide the patch. You know, and you want it, send in the patch, there it is, uh, to do the APIs that you need. <laughs> Yeah, so um, one of the things we do, so we're not just advocating for open data, we're also advocating for open source software. And um, Jeremy earlier mentioned that we're on GitHub at github.com slash Sunlight Labs. I think we have over 120 open source projects up on GitHub. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things we also do is we uh, hold contests called Apps for America. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind these contests is we, we give uh, put up some prize money and ask developers, just normal people out, out there, um, to build apps using government data sources. And for example, there was, um, there was one app in, in, uh, called GovPulse, which used what's called the Federal Register, data from the Federal Register. So the Federal Register um, is this is kind of the, the mundane daily workings of the government. So whenever someone, there's a meeting or there's a new regulation or if there's some new policy, um, Agencies have to publish it in what's essentially a daily newspaper, a daily publication called the Federal Federal Register. So that's that was actually that whole data set is actually published as an XML document every day as well. Um, so uh, a bunch of guys in San Francisco built uh, a really nice website called GovPulse on top of it, and the people who actually work at the Federal Register, the you know the, the employees of that agency. They saw that website, um, it's at govpulse.us, and they, a few months after that site was built, they actually contracted those same guys to build the new Federal Register website. So if you go today to federalregister.gov, that is a website built by people who participated in our Apps for America contest, and um, it's a really great story of how open source developers 
ended up contributing in a really significant way to the federal government. And that's uh, and that app, federalregister.gov, it's, it's completely open source. It's also on GitHub. Um, it's one of the first things, one of the first publicly available sites from the federal government that's hosted on Amazon's EC2. And it's just a really forward-thinking, um, you know, best practice app. It's a Rails app. Um, so we we push constantly for not just open government, but also for open sourcing your software. Um, and there's we definitely believe in that. That's why we have um, a lot of stuff up on GitHub. And if you look at our Apps for America uh, contest entries on our website, um, you'll you'll see a lot more um, really good examples of really great apps that were built because government decided to open up their data. It's really a remarkable story. Um, I, I, I know you, you, you covered a particular interesting point about what you're talking about, but I'm sort of wondering, uh, getting back to the question I asked uh, a few minutes ago, the software that generates the actual, you know, the, the retail web page that you're now scraping, do you know how that's being produced? And is that something uh, you, get, you get open sourced as well? Right. So um, that's probably, that's going to be a bit harder for us to actually get open source. So the way governments work, or the federal government in particular, is they have these, you know, they put out a contract, uh, a request for a contract proposal, um, and they sign these huge contracts that are, are multi-year, and almost always that software is going to be closed source. Um, so that's kind of, it's... I, I doubt we'll ever be able to, in particular, get that um, the con no, the the web the website that powers uh, Congress's uh, daily workings data in an open source way. Um, one good example, though, and uh, it's it's pretty recent, is that WhiteHouse.gov is built on top of Drupal, and they made a a a, uh, a concerted effort in the beginning to to build an, a more open um, using a more open platform for WhiteHouse.gov. And the team behind WhiteHouse.gov has actually open sourced several Drupal modules, um, released them back to the community. Um, things like dealing with Akamai and hosting um, uh, the the media, because of course there's a lot of media streaming out of WhiteHouse.gov. Um, so there's there's Drupal modules for Akamai, and there's other a few other Drupal modules to work with other systems. And so it's it's really great to see. I, to see the White House um, kind of leading the way in using an open source platform and then giving back um, to the community, sharing their the, the the Drupal modules they built for themselves and sharing it back to the Drupal community. It seems odd being a taxpaying citizen in the U.S. that my money goes for proprietary software for doing something that could actually have been built by the community given the data access is there. So I, that's probably that's the first time now I'm actually getting frustrated here <laughs> in the call. <laughs> like, why are they doing this? Because, you know, it's it's like I've seen clearly I wouldn't be doing this show if I didn't fully believe what open source is about. And it's, it's it seems odd now that something that actually is a community in the sense of, of a legal entity isn't providing community ways to make the thing better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that would really stop a group of open source developers from starting their own open source government contracting company. Uh, I think the biggest issue is that uh, most open source developers would be completely bored by the tedium of the contracting process (laughs) and uh, actually, you know, working with the legacy systems that they would have to work with. I know a lot of people that would get off on that, though. So, I, I mean, it, it really oh, depends on your dance. <laughs> but there, there, is, there are people that just love to go tinker and tinker and all this sort of legacy thing and go, look what I did. I, I screen scraped a, a virtual, uh, you know, IBM mainframe screen and came up with this, you know. <laughs> so I think there's probably enough people out there that if, if the actual access to the raw information was provided at the lowest level, we would have all sorts of wonderful software come out of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> there is an organization called um, Open Source for America, and it's um, I think it's led by some folks from Red Hat, and they they are doing exactly <laughs> that, which is advocating for open source software in government. So if you, if you're interested, definitely check them out. Uh, I'm actually on the advisory board for Open Source ah, for America, so uh, it's it, it isn't uh, just Red Hat folk. There's folk from all over the industry, and the activity at Open Source for America is run by volunteers. Uh, a great way of applying pressure to government to make it easier for a group like Sunlight to succeed is to join in with Open Source for America and uh, help um, campaign 
for open source in government. So that's uh, opensourceforamerica.org if people want to go sign up. So it's not just Red Hat. It's actually a, a wide-ranging activity. I got involved when right. I was at Sun Microsystems, and it's uh, still up and running, dominated by folk from um, Apache at the moment and uh, a couple of other organizations. And I think another good example is Code for America. Um, the goal of Code for America is to basically get teams of open source developers to go to to work with various cities across the country um, to basically write software for them uh, and to replace various systems that they have or to give them capabilities that they didn't. Uh, but also keeping in mind that this software could be reused for other cities as well. So uh, I think that's a really good example of uh, what Randall would want to happen. Uh, you know, these developers writing software uh, for the purpose of reusing it across, you know, various government organizations. Right. So what do you think is more important then, uh, open formats or open source? If you were going to see a government organization take an initiative for one of those, which would you pick? Uh, personally, I, I think that government has a duty to release its data to the public. It's the public's data. So uh, for me, open formats probably is a bit higher than open source, but I think that open source uh, does contribute to just a general culture of openness. Um, so uh, they go a little bit hand in hand, but. So that was a question contributed by audience member monologue. And I'd be pleased to get more questions oh, nice. on the IRC chat. Um, well, actually, one of the questions I was going to ask you guys is, uh, of course, I, I don't live in America. Um, I live uh, here in the United Kingdom. And we have an organization here called MySociety.org, mm -hmm. uh, which has, has done a, a whole load of work uh, slightly differently to the way that you have done it. Uh, I'm interested to know, do you find that you are sharing code and ideas with similar organizations internationally? Or is Sunlight strictly bounded by the U.S. boundary? So one um, example, sorry, sorry, Jeremy, one example of us um, going or, or sharing our stuff uh, across uh, the globe is we have this website called the National Data Catalog. And it's a, it's a data catalog of, of government data from all levels, federal, state, and local. <laughs> um, and one of the, uh, a, uh, a group in, I believe it is in Uruguay, um, took our code and has um, has built their own site called datosabiertos.org, so opendata.org um, in Spanish. Um, so that's one example. Um, and uh, I, I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head. Jeremy? Uh, yeah, I'm not aware of any examples. I mean, we've worked with other international groups before. Um, there's there's some issues that we have where, um, especially with like my society, um, just the basic structure of government is so different that a lot of the concerns that um, uh, members of parliament have uh, are kind of different than what a member of Congress has. Uh, was it Fix My Street, I think it was, or something like that that my society did? Um, a lot of those issues aren't just, just aren't handled by members of Congress um, here in this country. Right. So does that mean that you're, you're very focused on Congress, or do you also have a focus on state and maybe even uh, local legislatures as well. So Sunlight started out as purely uh, legislative branch of the federal government. Um, we've since moved a bit into the executive branch, and we've also moved into the state. Um, a good example of that is the Open States Project. Um, it's probably one of our premier projects right now. Uh, but it's basically our goal to scrape the legislation from all 50 states' websites and pull it together into one central data store and present a common API on top of all of the state data. Um, so that's that's one very, very large state legislative uh, effort that we're engaging in right now. Right. And uh, would you say that, that really it's more than you can handle to be looking at local initiatives? Is there some other organization in the U.S. that looks at local open transparency initiatives? Not that I'm aware of, Luigi. Do you know? No, not really. the The closest um, organization to us at the local level is probably Code for America, but they they look at um, more of open government, open source, practical issues like 
can we build better systems for governments to actually use rather than the idea of government transparency? Um, so I, it's, I think the, the movement at the local level right now in the U.S. is definitely more uh, organic and grassroots. There, there are a bunch of uh, bar camps called city camp, which have sprung up around the country in, in recent years. So I think there was actually just one in Arizona last week. Um, and if you're, if you're interested in uh, stuff at the local level, um, we also have a, uh, a mailing list called Citizens for Open Government, um, which is trying to kind of build this grassroots community around open government and transparency from the bottom up, at, you know, starting at the cities and working your way on up. Right. So uh, w- one, one more thought on that uh, comparison with groups like My Society. In, in the UK, My Society has become uh, a government contractor in some cases. So mm-hmm. the, the, the British Prime Minister's petition website on, uh, the, on the number10.gov.uk is actually created by My Society under contract from the government. Uh, are you finding that Sunlight Foundation is being called on by the administration to assist in projects like that? Or are you strictly separate from what they're up to? We, we have worked with agencies to advise them on um, various ways that they can make their uh, data more open from the beginning and just how to be more open organization. Um, we've also worked uh, with other government contractors to review proposals that they've been submitting uh, for contracts uh, to just basically give it the sunlight seal of approval to say that, you know, this is, uh, this is a, a good best approach for how, you know, this project can be open. Um, We've actually like thrown around the idea of going for a government contract, but I think that the uh, the overhead involved and just the the amount of effort it takes to go through the contracting process is more than we care to handle as a small nonprofit. Cool. Hey, without getting too political, but I do want to kind of see the sense of the direction that this is headed. Uh, I, I presume both of you have been working with the sunlight since before the administration changed. I'm wondering if the Obama administration has made this a lot easier, a little easier, a little harder, a lot harder. So like I said um, earlier <laughs> that when the Obama's administration actually came into the office, their first full day in office, they issued something called the Open Government Initiative, um, which essentially started directing all the, all the federal agencies to think about how to make their data more open and how to be more open in general. Um, and then actually they followed that up last December, uh, December 2009, with what they call the Open Government Directive. And as a directive, it actually it, it laid out specific things that each agency needed to do to be more open. So if you go to any government agency's website right now um, and do slash open on the URL, they were all mandated to create this slash open page. So if you go to nasa.gov slash open or um, uh, doj dot or justice.gov slash open, any, any of the major agencies will have this slash open um, website and they're all and all the agencies are also mandated to publish things on data.gov their open data catalog so i think um it's it's just kind of a matter of fact that yes the obama administration is actually much more attuned to the ideals of open government and transparency um they're they're definitely far from perfect and we we push them all the time on on ways we think they can be better um but yes there's actually there's definitely been a a pretty big improvement going um from the previous administration to to this current one Actually, one interesting uh, side to that that I would love to hear about from you. One of my uh, good friends here in Europe was sent back to D.C. to go be the um, uh, Obama's uh, transparency ombudsman. And I wonder whether you've heard at all from uh, uh, Obama's uh, uh, transparency ombudsman intervening to help get any branch of government to behave transparency or whether that initiative was uh, purely a, a, a piece of showcasing early on in the administration. Unfortunately, I have not heard of such an ombudsman. Um, what do, do you know what his name was? Uh, her name is Miriam Nesbitt. Oh. Uh, she was previously at the United Nations. Unfortunately, I, I, I don't know if Jeremy does, but I have not heard of, of her. Doesn't sound good, does no, it? I, have, I haven't either. No. <laughs> it's, not, it's not ring a bell. <laughs> 
We'll have to look Quick her up after this call. <laughs> Quick round will recover the situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so so the, there's there's been changes, which is good. That's a that's a nice thing. Um, uh, a couple more technical questions. So, if, if someone wanted to participate in this on a technical level, um, what uh, what what do you need to know uh, to come in and get involved and uh, uh, like like and, and how do, how do you how do you connect in? Well, most of our projects are written in either Python or Ruby, uh, so they're pretty accessible to most developers. Uh, we have our GitHub uh, site up. It's github.com slash sunlightlabs. We've got 124 or some so of our open source projects up there. Um, you can contact us through there. We have uh, Sunlight Labs mailing list that you can find through our website, sunlightlabs.com. Um, we also have an IRC channel, which is uh, hash Sunlight Labs on uh, Freenode. So, uh, yeah, if, if you just want to see what's out there and don't have anything particular in mind, we're always looking for people just to, you know, throw ideas around with them and even just to try to connect people up that might have an idea but don't really know how to implement something themselves. Cool. And I'm also getting a whisper in my ear here that there's something called Document Freedom Day. Are you participating in that? I'm not aware of that. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's look that up. <laughs> well, Simon, you want to talk about that? Yeah, that's coming up on March 30th. That's uh, now in its third or fourth year. It's uh, a, a global celebration of open document formats. And uh, March 30th this year, there'll be activities uh, in countries all over the world to promote open formats, including open document format, but also uh, open data formats for data activity, for government data activity. So I'd suggest that you take a look at that and, um, and throw your weight behind it. It could do with your love and, and uh, you undoubtedly could do with their love. Yeah, absolutely. That looks fantastic. There we go. So you got something from us as well as us getting something from you. I appreciate that. It's like government. Yeah, so it's supposed to work. <laughs> everybody shares. Everybody helps everybody out. Um, exactly. Okay, and I've got to ask the canned questions. You know me. Uh, VI or Emacs? Uh, I use, I'm personally... I use VI. Oh. Or Vim, actually. Okay, one VI and Vim, yeah, and, uh, and Jeremy? Uh, TextMate, but VI on the server. <laughs> uh, two in the wrong column I tell you I've got, <laughs> two, two weeks I've been gone every one of them was VI it was like oh stab me where remotely one well, in South America <laughs> well, one of our other uh, any last, uh, any last uh, word uh, Luigi uh, anything you want to ta- uh, ask us or let the audience know I mean uh, no I think we've we've covered it all really well um, I would just I would just encourage everyone to just go to sunlightlabs.com um, check out what we're doing Check us out on GitHub, github.com slash Sunlight Labs. Um, and join our Google our, our discussion list, which is on Google Group, because that's a really great resource. We we have a lot of activity on that list. Um, we're always there monitoring it, and we're always in um, IRC on Freenode. Uh, so just if, if any of this interests you, we're, we're really here to help. And, and we're one of the things we do as developers is, is we want other developers out there to do this stuff too. And um, just we're here as a resource if you need us. Very good. Very good. Thank you. And Jeremy, yeah. any last words? Yeah, I think the other thing that I would add is that it's Sunlight's policy that every project we work on is open source as well. So uh, it, it's all on our GitHub site. But if there's any project that you see that we would, that we do, um, the code is out there. So you can take it and uh, use it for anything, uh, you know, use it for your state or city level issue that you're working on or even just contribute to help us out here. So I mean, even like the uh, Android and iPhone apps are all open source? Yep, both of those are open source and up on our GitHub site, yeah. Very cool, very cool. That's a good example of a full-blown application that I can steal for. I, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I use as an example. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> you can't steal something that isn't locked up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there we go. Hey, uh, thanks, guys, for being on the show today, and I'm sure you'll have a bit more interest or a lot more interest uh, after the show airs, and uh, appreciate you just taking your time. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, Very Simon. good. Very good. So that was uh, Jeremy Carbaugh. Uh, and uh, Luigi Montanez speaking to us about the Sunlight Lab. So what do you think there, Simon? Uh, it's very uh, good stuff that they're doing there, actually. I've been following Sunlight Labs for quite some time. Um, uh, ever since I got involved in Open Source for America, they've been one of the organizations that has been uh, running in parallel and actually doing what we've been campaigning for. So I'm a big supporter of Sunlight Labs, and I think that uh, the U.S. is very lucky to have a well-funded group of volunteers working on that stuff. 
that also lets you know that you're on the right track with Open Source for America because if it's other organizations already out there running, making it happen, that uh, means you're on the right track. Right, yes. But, you know, the only thing that I would like to see is more groups like that around the world engaged in the same sort of activities. Uh, we've got mysociety.org here in the UK. But apart from those two organizations, uh, there aren't very many that spring to mind as high-profile, well-funded transparency organizations. And one of the things we definitely need in the world is more transparency in government data. Uh, the, the more secrecy there is, the more government tends to degrade into, uh, um, uh, I don't know quite how gently to put it. I'm reading a good book about the mafia at the moment, and that's the, <laughs> one of the things that results from a lack of transparency is that sort of behavior because of human nature. So Sunlight Labs is a, a, a fantastic disinfectant. They say sunlight is the best disinfectant, and I, I suspect that's where their name came from. Absolutely. The evil people hang out in the dark for a reason. You know, it's uh, easier to sneak up on you in the back there. Uh, so the, and I, I appreciate this, too, because I, I really uh, I'm annoyed when I hear how much uh, document data is locked up in proprietary format documents, let alone not having access to it at a time that uh, I could actually make any decisions or thoughts about it. So uh, I'm, I, I'm very happy for this project. I'm glad that they had a chance to come on yeah. today to talk about what, what's going on for them. So, uh, and as always, you know, that's why I'm doing Floss Weekly to bring these yeah. kinds of things out to the open there. And speaking of doing uh, Floss Weekly, since I'm still doing it, uh, I've got some upcoming guests. Let me uh, run down the list real quick here. Uh, Sam, do you have something else to say? Or did I no, no, I was just going to carry on talking about uh, the, the goodness that there comes from um, open data activities there, Randall. Uh, okay. you know, I'm, I, one, one of the great things that I, I think that we need sunlight there for is to mm -hmm. campaign for doing data openness properly. Uh, I, I see governments deciding that because they have thrown some data over the wall, they've done their transparency stuff for the year now. And, oh, and, uh, and sunlight helps cam campaign against that sort of behavior as well. And especially like, uh, if, if I recall right, the original, if not the current uh, docx format is nothing more than a binary blob inside uh, the middle of something with XML tags. So uh, I, I, yeah, I'd be very cautious about heading into that in the last few minutes of the program, if I were you. <laughs> okay, maybe that's a whole other <laughs> show you're talking about now. Huh? <laughs> Simon, maybe you and I have to have a roundtable on that at some point. That'd be kind of fun. Um, I think that'd be so, kind of cool, yeah. Okay, well, maybe we'll put that on the upcoming future guest schedule, but uh, let's let's see what's currently on there for now. Uh, I've been away for so long, I haven't even seen what the guests look like. <laughs> I tell you, I, I go away for three weeks, and I can't figure out how to do this show anymore. It's all kind of sad. Uh, next week, we got Ludovic uh, Marcote. Um, uh, talking about uh, Packet Fence and Sogo, which is uh, apparently a portal system uh, to allow you to have uh, Wi-Fi captured portals with have the right kind of interface for logging in and things like that. Dan Walsh is going to come back. Oh, apparently uh, for SE Linux, he was scheduled to come in, in a few weeks ago and uh, had to delay his schedule. So Dan Walsh will come back in. And uh, Dan Lynch is going to be back at the helm for that one. Uh, so I'll be actually on another cruise. <sighs> so many cruises, so little time. Uh, Michael Yaps uh, from Yoket, Jocket, something like that, is going to talk to us about another web development app uh, for making rich web, web apps uh, all in JavaScript, but in, in higher layers than that. Darren Schreiber is going to come and talk to us about the 2600 Hertz project, which is telephony at all sorts of levels, all open source telephony, uh, asterisk, concluded everything else up and down the, the line there. And what I'm really looking forward to is Gilad Braca's coming in. Gilad Braca is uh, a very talented uh, uh, language developer. So not, not just using languages, but actually developing them. Uh, uh, it's fundamental for a lot of things that were happening in the small talk and Haskell communities, uh, I believe. But he's going to talk to us about Newspeak, which is his uh, new project to uh, bring more and cooler things to uh, small talk. Uh, well, maybe the successor to small talk, if that's if I can use that as a phrase, um, we've got uh, a bunch of other things coming up. Uh, oh, what's the, uh, no, that's a, if, if you want to, uh, I don't remember how to talk about this, but I tell you, three weeks and I'm gone. It's horrible. <laughs> so if there, if you want somebody on the list that isn't on the list, you can email, have them email me, have the project leader email me at Merlin at and I'll try to get them slotted in. I'm just about to start my Q2 scheduling. So if you get them in in the uh, next uh, week or two, I'll probably be able to put them right in the Q2 schedule. Um, uh, I'm also going to be, uh, uh, speaking of why I haven't been here, I, I was on a cruise. I was on a wonderful cruise, a 12-day cruise. Leo Laporte was on there. I think you might have heard of him if you're listening to this show. Uh, we were went down around the, uh, the Patagonia, which is down around South America, around the Horn. Uh, got a bunch of wonderful pictures going to be on the Flickr, my Flickr account, Randall-Schwartz, uh, coming up soon, so you can look at all those. Um, uh, I've also been doing some narration for Starship Sofa, starshipsofa.com, and apparently one of my stories was published just recently. Not my stories. I'm reading, narrating for them, but I'm just having a great time for that, so go check that out. 
Um, also, this weekend, I'm going to be at SCALE, the Southern California Linux Expo. I'll be running around uh, finding new people to interview for Floss Weekly and maybe even getting a live interview down there. I'm also going to be representing a Linux Fund there. Uh, we actually have a new project starting up there. Uh, I don't know if the press release has gone out yet, but I'll just pretend it has. Uh, Linux Fund is renaming itself as Open.org. We got the Open.org domain name. So we are going to have Linux Fund just be one of the projects of Open.org and bring together a lot of other things under that umbrella. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and uh, I think that's all I've got on the list here. Uh, Simon, anything you want to talk about? Uh, the only thing I was going to mention was uh, we talked about it in the program a little, but Document mm-hmm. Freedom Day is coming up on March 30th at documentfreedom.org. Mm-hmm. And um, it, that's a, a great activity to get involved in. You can participate very easily. Uh, simply uh, reply to an email somewhere that you've received that's had an attachment in a proprietary format and ask them to send you something that isn't proprietary. Uh, that's the, 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 a very simple gesture to take. Or you could go the whole way and join in with uh, organizing a local activity, uh, maybe distributing um, LibreOffice CDs at your local public library, uh, maybe uh, engaging in uh, lobbying with your local government to get them to use open formats for putting out citizen data. But uh, March 30th, great day to get involved. Go look at documentfreedom.org and uh, sign up and join in. Very cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, very important, actually, to establish. Now, I, Simon, under that, do you mean if somebody sends me a PDF, I'm supposed to kick back? Because PDFs are kind of locked up, aren't they? Well, that's a great question. But, you know, the PDF format is actually pretty open. Um, okay. And for a lot of purposes, PDF is a, a, a good format to use. Uh, I would rather you send me a PDF than that you send me an editable document if you don't intend me to edit the document that you're sending me. Uh, right. However, if you if you do want to send me something that I need to edit or that I'm going to need to work with in the future, you really do need to send it to me in an open format. And you can send it to me as a plain text file. You can send it to me in uh, ODF, open document format. You can even send it to me in some elderly legacy proprietary format like .doc. But whatever you do, don't use some proprietary format from some current software where the vendor is aiming to make sure that the only way I can collaborate with you is by buying their software. Because if you do that, you're reducing everyone's freedom. Your choice to uh, use that proprietary format and software has reduced everybody else's freedom. So PDF's not bad to use in some circumstances, but uh, watch out when you're using PDF that you don't use any of its modern proprietary features, because if you do, your choices might be taking other other people's freedoms away. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if this ever happened to you, Simon, but I once got an invitation to a party that was done as uh, a PowerPoint, and they had taken a snapshot of the web page and pasted the picture into the PowerPoint and then printed that as PDF. So they're going, oh, I sent you a PDF. (laughs) Yeah, I've had those sorts of things. The other things that I've had is people sending out uh, things in Flash to uh, invite me to activities that are, are supposed to be about open source. And I find that I just can't read them in any of the devices that I uh, am commonly carrying around. So I have to come back to the office, use the device where I have Flash set up. This is the, the big problem with these proprietary formats is the people who are propagating them are doing it often unconsciously unaware of the consequences of promoting them, unaware that by using those proprietary formats, they're actually reducing their own effectiveness and other people's freedoms. So that's what, I, that's what uh, uh, Document Freedom Day is about. It's about pushing forward the idea that when you use open formats for government data, for documents and so on, uh, not only are you more free, but society is more free. Very good, very good. One, one thing I want to mention, since this is the last time you'll see this, I said this before, but uh, I'm now moving out of the Schwartz Mansion as of before I tape the next show. I would have taped the next show here. So uh, for those of you watching the video, this is the last time you're going to see that wonderful uh, stained glass behind me. I'm hoping I can get that into storage before I move out, but it may have to stay with the house. We'll see if that works out. So goodbye. Uh, big, nice big uh, Mount Hood picture. Let's see. Get me out of the way there. There you go. There's Mount Hood. Uh, and, of course, if you're just listening to this on the audio, it won't make any sense at all. Uh, one last thing also. Uh, follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N. I've also been posting pictures with PicPlease. And if you see those links in there, please uh, follow me on PicPlease and make comments about there as well. That's a, I don't know if that's an open format. No, I think it's actually trying to get, make a real open API for that. But there we go. And I'm also going to be live streaming karaoke tonight if I can get all my things taken care of today that need to get done. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Simon, where do we find you? 
You can find me at uh, webmink.com. That's W-E-B-M-I-N-K.com. And you'll find me on Twitter and Identica as Webmink. And you'll find me everywhere else as webmink.anything you like as well. And Simon, thanks a lot for being on today's show as a co-host. I really miss our conversations. I'm glad you filled in a couple of times uh, with uh, or with uh, the Dan on, on one of those shows, at least. That was a great, the, the UK show. I really like that. I listened to it while I was on the cruise ship. It was uh, very exciting. What, what was even more exciting was making the show up as we went along. Uh, yes. I won't name the guest who was involved, but the guest didn't show. And yes. so we uh, we had to make the, we, pro- we programmed, scripted and executed the show on the fly on uh, on the on um, live Twit TV. So very exciting it was. As if you were both professionals. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but Simon, thank you again for co-hosting the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, I'm also, this is where I always say, uh, we'll see you next time on Floss Weekly. And uh, by the way, here's the uh, karaoke award I won on the ship. All right. Yay. <laughs> Yay. See, I don't lie about this. Actually, it says hey, right here. That one looks, it looks just like mine. Look. Holland America Superstar. It's right there. It's right there. See? Superstar winner. Holland America line. Let's see if we can get all the way up there. There we go. See? You, that's not your gold award from having been on enough cruises to fund your own ship, is it? Uh, no, that's next. <laughs> that's next. Okay.